0: so this is living well class romans chapter 15 verses 22 through 33 this is a continuation of what we have been doing for a, for a bit as we've studied through the book of romans and and um i'd like to start here just with with a review okay of where we've been and this is an overview Okay, of the chapter. I know you can't read this, but just these circled areas, what we have is in verse 5, the God of patience and consolation. Consolation means comfort. The God of patience and consolation. And then verse 13, we have the God of hope. And then down here in verse 33 at the end, we have the God of peace. So that's been our breakdown, our outline for Romans chapter 15, how God is revealing himself to us, and through study, there's been a lot of insights, a lot of implications in knowing God as the God of patience and consolation, what hope means for us as believers and who God is as the God of hope, and then this week, we're going to be talking about the God of peace, and and there's a lot that goes into that, okay, but... What we saw first in this God of patience and consolation, one thing that we saw here was we saw that we need to renew our minds and how we look at, how we view each other, and how we treat each other. That's kind of the theme of Romans 15, okay? And we saw that we have a precedent in Christ, that we have a perfect word. We have a process of renewing our minds. There's a pattern, Christ himself, which we're all trying to conform to. You're not trying to be like me. I'm not trying to be like you. We're all trying to be like Christ. And as we get closer to that, we all get more like-minded. We have a pattern or a or, or a gold standard there. And then finally, we have a possession. That's what, that's what we have received, like Sam was preaching out this morning, we can give away. All right, so we saw that then. And then next, we saw that you know, also in chapter 15 last week, in terms of the God of hope, we we saw that whatsoever things were written aforetime, speaking of like Old Testament scripture, right, were written for our learning. We ought to be good Bible students, right? Why? Well, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. You know, and if you had a hope a meter and it's not pegged out, how's your hope level? For your relationships? How's your hope for your career? How's your hope for your family? How's your hope for your well-being? How's your hope? If it's not pegged out, then maybe the problem is you, you don't have patience and consolation through study of the scripture. So I'm not saying you're not studying, but maybe we're not studying deliberately to see God for who he is and to see ourselves within his plan, trusting him. Does that make sense? We, 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 we talked about that when we talked about the God of hope and the difference between hope for us as believers and hope for the lost or for unbelievers. And here's what we saw, okay? We saw that, go on, okay? Hope for the believer is an assured confidence my hope is built on nothing less, right? His, his word, his, I have his promises. We have an assured confidence in what we know to be true about our future. That's, that's awesome. Hope for the unbeliever, okay, is an anxious contemplation about what they do not know about their future. And those are kind of opposite. So, listen, we are really, really blessed to be in the position that we are spiritually, to have God as his word and to be his people. But, but let's go on. Let's go on here. This this is the FOI party. Okay? And this was last night, right? I see wagi's well, here. He's having fun. Let's see. Um, are, are you in there somewhere, Bill? No? You guys... You were up running, so you were like, yeah, you didn't make the picture. And you go, Okay, so if you would have come to the Friends of International Welcome Party, what you would have found is there's people from all over the world speaking different languages, right? So maybe if I would want to know where, where uh, oh, I know where they're from, but, but, but if I wanted to know where she's from. I could go start speaking to her and, and see what language she's speaking. What is your native language? And that will let me know where you're from, right? Okay, so. Well, that, that's just normal. You're like, well, Chris, you're not even teaching yet, you're much less preaching. Where are you going with this? Okay, so, so check this out. If, if, if your language indicates your home, well, the thing ought to be true for us, okay? Just as a person's language reveals where they are from, a Christian's conversation should reflect his or her citizenship. Now look, you're like, well, that word conversation doesn't mean like two people talking to each other, right? What's the word conversation mean in our King James Bible? Anybody know? Your lifestyle. However, it's deeper than that. It's not just your lifestyle. Someone's conversation is their lifestyle, exactly, lifestyle based on their citizenship. Okay, now our conversation actually does include our communication. It does include how we communicate with each other, even though that's not not how we would use that word. I think obviously how we treat each other and how we communicate with each other is very much part of our lifestyle, of our way of life. And we as believers ought to have a way of life that is based on our citizenship in heaven, not your experiences on earth. And that's kind of the point we want to to look at now. And continuing with your handout here, even if we cannot determine where a Christian's home is, because you can have a carnal Christian, we can determine where their heart is as we listen to what comes out of their mouth. Like, I may not be able to tell if you're truly saved or not, based on what comes out of your mouth, but I can certainly tell where your heart is. Because we know this. Matthew chapter tw- uh, 12, verse 34, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. O ye generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak of good things? And here's the point. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, and you just can't help it. Your heart gets all full, and then, blah, here it comes, all over somebody else, either for good or for bad. Out of the, It's going to come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. James chapter 1, verse 26 says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Okay, wait, hang on. James, you said if he bridles not his tongue, he's deceiving his own, his own heart. Why? Because from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The tongue and the heart are inseparable. Now, they're not the same, but you can't separate them. And the reason my tongue is sinning is because i got a heart problem, not just because I have a tongue problem. Does that make sense? If I bridle not my own tongue, but I'm up here acting all religious, you can say, well, gee, Chris, you're deceiving your own heart. Wow, the heart and the tongue. OK, so, so the God of peace is with them that speak peace. So this, this week, we're talking about the God of peace, but it's not just straightforward. It's not just who he is. It's how we access that peace that's what we're going to be looking at today. You know, what comes out of our mouth, and what are we speaking, and what are we choosing? The language of the lost, which is our own native tongue, because we're all born into this world as part of a fallen race. That which is abundant in the heart of the lost, which comes out of their mouth, is a language that's based on really one or two words. Me. Mine. You don't have to teach a two-year-old to say, Mine, mine. And, no, mine. You have to teach them not to say those things. But this is the language of the lost. This is our natural native tongue. It's all about complaining, murmuring, disputing, discontentment. uh, striving, and scorning. Eventually those things flow out of the mouth of the abundant of a lost man or carnal person's heart. And they're all just synonyms for me, mine. Well, why do they do it that way? Why can't they do it my way? I don't agree. Mine, me. That's the language of the lost. That's our native tongue. And I'm going to present that we need to learn to speak a new language as God's people. And Paul demonstrates this for us. The whole passage is about how we treat e- each other. But in this last portion of Romans chapter 15, Paul is really just making his travel plans. It's like a, a, a ministry meeting. Except for FaceTime or, or Zoom. or He's doing it via paper and ink. But the way Paul communicates illustrates beautifully and exemplifies what it is he's teaching in this passage. So let's go to the, 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 the verses here. and I'm going to read Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 28. So get eyes on that. We're going to read through this, this passage. Paul says, he, he's been talking about how he's been preaching the gospel where it wasn't preached, because everyone needs to hear the gospel. And he says, for which cause I've been much hindered from coming to you. I couldn't come to you because I had to go preach the gospel where it hasn't been preached to fulfill the scripture. He says, But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire over these many years to come to you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company, but now I go to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Where, When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain." And, and so Paul lays out a... He, he's not just making plans, but this whole thing is infused with care. It's infused with a desire to see you, to be filled with your company. Okay? But what we see here, just just some basic things before we break up into our small groups. Verse 10, we see that... I'm sorry, verse... Uh, What verse is that? Verse verse 22, all the way through here, really. We see that planning is important, okay? Planning is important. Paul is making his travel plans, and especially for those people that are involved. Have you ever been part of maybe a ministry team, and you're not entirely sure what to do? And you're like, well, I'm all in. But I don't know what to do, so I'll just stand here and show up or something. Like, planning is actually important. Otherwise, people don't know how to pray. They don't know how to help. They don't know how to serve. They don't know what to prepare for. And if you can't prepare, then you're unbiblical. We're supposed to be a prepared people, right? You can't prepare if there's not a plan. And planning is important, okay? Now, what we say really matters, But here's one of the biggest things. How we say it also matters. Paul's very gracious in his communication. He's encouraging. He's edifying. Okay, let's go on here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. That's how the work gets done. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. There are people of our family tree, spiritually speaking, who speak the truth and they're always mad about it. (laughs) Now look, I get a little mad when I see the church being deceived and falling into apostasy. It makes me a little mad. But I'm not mad at the people who are here. I'm not mad at you guys. You know, we speak the truth in love. We don't speak the truth in vitriol. Okay, so so what we see with Paul's travel plans here is that Paul does communicate. It is important. He is making plans, but he's not going to violate the normal bounds of Christian communication in order to have a a ministry meeting. So he's just making his travel plans, which is important. But listen, he's going to do it graciously. He's going to do it in a way that's encouraging, in a way that's edifying. That's what he's modeling for us here. And I would say this, even, and maybe especially, our everyday conversations and ministry meetings should have an air of grace. Maybe you're having a meeting at work. If it's you, there ought to be an air of grace. For your part, you're not going to violate what you know to be true of Christian communication in order to have that meeting. Why? Well, because that would be sinning against God. That would be speaking the language of the lost. Scorning and, and disputing and striving. Those aren't Christian things. And I'm not saying you wouldn't stand your ground, but you would do it in a way that's biblical. Okay? Paul does that. He models that for us. Okay, so let's look at some verses. Let your speech be seasoned with grace when you feel like it. No, no, no. Okay, now listen. I There have been seasons in my life where I've been way too busy. And I'm just putting out fires. Well, actually, I don't even put them out. I just kind of try to get them under control till it's not the biggest fire anymore. And then it's like, oh... This is gonna burn the house down. I got to do this yesterday and I go and I get that fire and I don't even put it out I just get under control and then there's another thing that's threatening. I got to go just Putting out fires you got anyone ever been that busy. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, the problem with that is you're always in like reactive panic mode when you're putting out a fire you're not polite Because all that matters is I got to get that done, and I feel behind, and I'm getting overwhelmed, and there's something that's threatening, I'm in half. Okay, that can become a habit. And you can't have a meeting where you're getting stuff done and getting stuff planned without going into panic mode, because that's all you've ever known or all you've ever done. Christina and I, we got married in college. I was pre-med. She was trying to finish her two college degrees. We're going to raise a family. We're going to go to med school. We're going to have twins and then residency and raise a family and homeschool and church plant and then another church plant and then ministry and and changes in career. All we did for about 20 years was put out fires. We had to learn to actually sit down and work through things without going into panic mode, which is not bad because only one of you can panic at a time. You can't both panic because then... Then you go into the crazy cycle. And nothing but crazy cycle when everybody's panicking, so. We take turns. Take turns on that. I get to panic one meeting, she can panic the next one. But we can't both panic. Okay. No, always seasoned with salt. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt is lost, it's savor. So listen, it's kind of easy in here to speak graciously, because, man, we're the church, and we're together. It's harder tomorrow at work. It's harder trying to get out the door with your sick kids. Okay? It's, but listen, if it comes time for me to have a budget meeting with my wife, and I lose my saver, what language am I speaking then, and where's that coming from? If I lose the salt filter, the grace filter in my speech, where's that coming from? Why would I do that? Okay. Yeah, I'm going into panic mode. Okay, next. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearer, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Listen, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. There ought to be a filter sealed on my mouth that says no corrupt communication is going to proceed out of this thing. But when I speak, it's going to be for the benefit of the people hearing, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, not that it will be a source of scorning that's going to Make the person who's speaking feel better. Oh my goodness, why, why do we miss that? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tender-hearted. Oh my goodness, let's be tender-hearted one toward another. Forgiving one another. I know I messed you up and offended you. Just listen, forgive me, let's be tender-hearted. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Paul's just communicating travel plans. But he says, I've been hindered, but now I have great desire to come unto you. I want to see you. I want to be filled with your company. He brings it into perspective of spiritual reality. He teaches them about the place of the the Gentiles and the Jews. Verses 29 through 32, we read, And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. So this is Paul's prayer requests. He's getting ready to go. He's going to do a missionary journey. And he has these points that he's seeking for, for prayer. And there's four points. But, but listen, he says, that, first of all, he sets this thing up. In verse 29, and he says, I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ but we need to pray. You know, you ought to read in Acts what Paul went through in Rome, in uh, Jerusalem. And now he came to Rome a prisoner. <coughs> Paul went through some stuff there, but his prayer included several different things. Okay, but, but listen, so, so let's go on. Paul's prayer request, and, and here's the point I want to make. Seeking the fullness of the blessing and the gospel leads us to corporate prayer. People do not understand corporate prayer, but they're not seeking after the fullness of the blessing of the gospel. <clears throat> if corporate prayer is something we have to go to, we, we're not actually seeking the fullness of the blessing that comes from being bought in as a disciple and as a discipler. What God set up. Listen, I know... <laughs> Maybe we don't even like this, but what God set up is that if I'm going to have the fullness of the blessing that he has for me in the ministry, I need you, and I need you praying for me, and you need me, and you need me praying for you, and we need each other. There is a more full, there is a fullness of the blessing. And if we're not together, if we're not for each other, we're not praying together, we're going to miss out on that. And this is part of our small group understanding. Our small group understanding that we need each other. And God set it up that way to keep us humble and to keep us communicating and to keep us praying and to keep us loving. Praise the Lord. But He gives us in verse 29 reassurance. I'm sure when I come to you, I'll come in the fullness of the blessing. He gives the reasons why he asks them to pray for Christ's sake. Wait a minute. I want you to pray for me for Christ's sake. Well, how does that make sense? Well, look at it. For we preach not ourselves, Paul says, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul did what he did for the sake of the gospel, he did what he did. For Jesus' sake. And so when you pray for Paul, you're praying for the, for the promotion of the gospel, right? Well, same thing. When we're praying for each other, do it for Christ's sake. We are the body of Christ. Man, it just... I, I, I see you guys in LFBI. The students that are in LFBI. And I see Jeremy join the church. And I, say, I see Wagi. I see God working in the Boutros family. So we do need to be praying that Wagi can get this job at Calvary. You have a doctorate in education? Okay. Christian education. God's had them in a place of brokenness. It's through places like that that God does a work. If He could have this job at Calvary, that would actually give him a good job that he's qualified for that would provide well, that would allow him to contact more people and help. We need an Arabic-speaking church that is a disciple-making, leadership-equipping, sending church in Kansas City. That's the vision. So when you pray for Wagi and Lois, you are praying for Christ's sake. Amen? Does that make sense? Okay praying in for Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, verse 30 says. What? What's that mean? Well, but the fruit of the Spirit, go back, Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay, so, you have the Spirit, I have the Spirit, we ought to have love one for another. Well, pray according to that love. Pray for Christ's sake. Pray for the love of the Spirit. And then Paul gives his specific requests that you can read about in thirty-one and thirty-two, and and those also are very enlightening in terms of our corporate prayer. He he prays for del- for deliverance. We have to pray for spiritual warfare. He prays that that the service would be accepted. Well, we need to pray that God. Please accept my service as acceptable. I don't want to waste my time. Like, what if you get to the end and you stand before the judgment seat and Christ was like, well, it wasn't really acceptable because you didn't have a few key understandings and attitudes. Like, oh my goodness, Lord, help us that our ministry service would be accepted. He prays that he would be delivered from them that do not believe, that his service would be accepted, that I would come to you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. He prayed that his journey would be, would be, would be uh, uh, that God would, would go before him in that and that there would be refreshing at the end of it. When we come together, it ought to be refreshing. That's what's designed. And then finally, in verse thirty three is Paul's blessing. He says, "Now the God of peace be with you all amen and this is where I want to spend a few minutes because this is not just a benediction, okay sometimes in some churches or other countries before you leave, you give like a benediction now may the may God bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you and, you know and, and you do kind of a As a Christian leader, you you ask God's blessing on everybody before they go. And and we don't do that a lot here, but there's more to this than just that. Because the God of peace is with them that choose the way of peace. Turn with me to Philippians in your Bible. Okay? Philippians chapter 4. Paul's teaching here, he says in verse 2, I beseech Iodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. There's like-mindedness again. I entreat thee, also true yoke fellow. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel and Clement also with my other laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication. with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and mind through Jesus Christ. There's the peace of God. Paul says in verse 9, The things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, what? Do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I'm not trying to take... Licensed with the passage in Romans 15. But what we see in Paul, we need to do, and the God of peace will be with us. And the entire chapter is talking about how we treat each other, how we see each other, how we communicate with each other. And what we see Paul do is have his speech always with salt, always with grace. Communicating not just things that are true, but communicating in a way where there's blessing. Let's go on. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. See, if you live in peace, now the God of peace is with you. Why? Well, because he can abide with you if you've got those things in place in your life where you're following him according to his word. I can't do and say things that grieve the Spirit and then say, well, the God of peace is with me because he's omnipresent. Well, yes, he's with us. Yes, we're sealed. But he's not like, hey, I'm with you. Not like that, right? How can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, God's not the one who needs to change his mind and learn a new language and learn to... No, we need to walk with him. He's going to be with us when we decide we're choosing His ways. The God of peace is with those that speak peace, those that choose peace. Back in Romans, we see, I've got some other verses for you where you can see this thing laid out. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, "...only let your conversation, your lifestyle, which is based on your citizenship in heaven..." That's how you should read that. "...let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or be absent..." I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That should describe us. Hey, what do you think about that group? Oh man, that's a bunch of people, like-minded, striving together for the gospel of Christ. That's who they are. Wouldn't that be great? All we got to do is just start trusting God according to his word. Next, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and 3. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, what's consolation mean? Comfort. comfort. If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. We all have this same calling. We all have these same instructions. We're one body with one one word, one Lord, and we're all called to, to bite into that. If we don't in other words, if I choose not to speak peace to see you guys right, if out of my heart is nothing but me and mine, well then I'm not choosing this. Okay. So the lost, they don't care about edifying others. They don't care about encouraging others. They're not like the believer that says, listen, I've received great mercy and now I'm a debtor to others to show them great mercy. The lost don't have that understanding. They don't care if God is with them. Like, you could tell them, look, the God of peace be with you. and They're like, I don't want the God of peace. I want what I want, when I want, how, and it's just like, me, me, right? But for us, oh my goodness, we've been called. We've been called to lay down our lives, and here's the question. Are you willing to just lay it down to get all of God? See, the peace of God comes from the God of peace. But, but it's always a paradox with God it seems like you have to be willing to lay down your rights you have to be willing to lose your life to find it okay so, so most people will never trade their misery for the peace of God you know why? because to do so they have to treat others well And they won't do it because it will require them stopping complaining and murmuring and disputing. See, to love others, you can't just love yourself. And most people would rather have their miseries than have God. Will I trade my victim status for victory? I don't know. Most people won't. But here's the thing, and here's what breaks my heart. It's what people need. It's what the world needs. Even in this class, even in this class, I know there's people who need what would come from this sort of communication. Paul was effective. He actually laid out a plan. He was encouraging. He was edifying and he was enlightening. And this is, I know there's people in this class who need effective communication in our small groups. They need a plan to move forward in life. And see, some of you, you could help them with that plan. The problem is, your heart is not speaking things that are effectively helping others on their plan because you're too concerned with your own situation. And it's me and it's mine. And here's what's wrong in my life. And then your brother or your sister who needs your help and your life experience and your gifts to put a plan together are not getting it. Because our hearts have not learned to speak a new language. We haven't put a filter on our mouth to speak biblically. I know there's people in here and they need encouragement. They believe, but they're like, help my unbelief. And they need you to come alongside them. And sometimes, listen, sometimes it's just this. It's going to be okay. I've been there. I didn't know if it's going to be okay. And someone, I don't think he's even saved. He probably could just tell. I'm about to... <laughs> Like, give up. It's just a little, hey, it's going to be okay. Like, okay, alright, I'm going to choose to believe that. And it was okay. There's people in here that need edified. They need strengthened in their faith. There's people in here that need enlightened. They need their faith increased. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 tells us to ponder the paths of our feet and let all of our ways be established. And I think for us to be everything that God wants us to be, and for us to get everything we need out of Romans chapter 15, it's going to require us doing a little introspection. That is, ponder the paths of your feet. Okay? But then let's not just do introspection and beat ourselves up, whatever, okay, yeah, we're all bad people. Okay, that's not the goal. But let's have our ways established in the Word of God. Let's do what Paul said. And let's look at what he did, and let's model that. Let's buy into that. The God of peace will be with us if we're willing to speak peace to each other. So we need to learn a new language. We need to say, I'm going to put a filter across my mouth, and and I'm going to apply... Ephesians 4.29, and I'm not going to speak corrupt communication. My speech will always be with grace. I'll be slow to speak and quick to hear. I'll speak evil of no man. I'll speak forth truth, but I'll do it in love. And what will happen is that filter will make your communication a great blessing to others, but it will do something else. That filter will be a heart monitor for you. Because honestly, this is a new thing for us. As believers, this is a new way of communication. The lost world doesn't communicate like this. That's why this verse says, if we would just do all things without murmurings and disputings, we would be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. The person who has that filter will shine as a light in the world. Go to the next, go to the next slide. Like, that's you. It's dark, except for us. But it's also going to let me know when my heart needs a, a, a retuning. Because honestly... Usually, it's just low blood sugars enough, or getting sick, or being in pain, or whatever. There's a list of a thousand things. Whatever causes you to snap at people and then feel bad about it later, causes you to be irritable. Causes your heart. Why are they cast down on my soul? And then why is this coming out of my mouth? You know what? If you don't have that filter in place, you're just going to justify. You're sinning, your selfishness, the me and the mine. No, 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 look. Man, God, I, I think I, I'm irritable. What's going on inside? It's a heart monitor. Does that make sense? Then you can do a recheck. So, so listen, in our small groups, I think that's what we need to talk about. So I know that's what the class needs, I know that's what the world needs. We need to be helping each other plan. We need to be encouraging each other, edifying each other, enlightening each other. You guys can do that for each other, but you can't do it if you're self-focused. Does that make sense? So I don't want to do any classroom planning right now. I just want people in their small groups to work through this as a group. Where are you at with that? Have you pondered the paths of your feet? Do you need, like, like whatever, let's, let's work through this together. So we're going to finish, we'll pray, and then we'll break up into our small groups.